Yo estaba bien por un tiempo volviendo a sonreír. Luego anoche te vi, tu mano me tocó y el saludo de tu voz te hablé muy bien y tú sin saber que estaba llorando por tu amor llorando por tu amor luego de tu adiós sentí todo Okay, everybody, welcome to the very latest Bolt from the Blue podcast after the final day of the Premier League season. As you know, Stretford and Chelsea join us in next season's Champions League, and it's poor Bournemouth and Watford who will join Norwich City in the Championship. But for us, well, it's just another routine five-zip route for the Blues. And to join me to discuss all these things are some great city commentators, writers, and broadcasters, even the odd financial analyst thrown in there. First of all, in order of seniority, City Matters Committee member and king of the Kipax writer Colin Savage, a.k.a. Twitter's Prestwich Blue. Colin, how are you and what have you been up to? Tired, um, working hard, a little bit of socialising starting. So don't know what we're going to do on ourselves now for the next few weeks till football starts again. But we've got the Champions League, haven't we? So. Don't worry, Colin, I've got plans for you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well... As you can probably guess, we've got a couple of other great guests. And uh, next in line, we have City Fan TV YouTube channel producer, Mr. Raymond Bubbles. Hi, Ray. How you doing? Hey. I'm all, I'm all right. Very, very busy. There's a lot, uh, obviously, going on with the last game of the season. Um, and uh, everybody wants to know about transfer tittle-tattle. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a good tittle-tattler. So uh, we'll talk, uh, you know, we're doing videos about that. Uh, I, I keep promising to this Ismail Benassa in-depth video with all stats and stuff. I just haven't got time. There's just too much going on uh, at the moment. 
Fantastic. And we also, and unless you hadn't guessed it already, we also have the amazing and talented city commentator and another writer for King of the Kipax. That's Emily, a.k.a. Twitter's Kipax girl. Emily. Hi, Emily. How are you doing? Hello, hello. I'm very well, thank you. How are you, Mike? I'm doing great. So you've just uh, arrived back from uh, Scotland, is that right? Yes. Very tired. Over 2,000 miles worth of driving, but thoroughly worth it worth every mile and it's just been fantastic so yeah what an adventure but it's just brilliant as well to watch City finish the season on such a high that was just an incredible game wasn't it it was indeed we enjoyed seeing the pictures of your um, family vacation up there and uh, we're going to stick with you Emily and get into the opening question uh, before we get mm-hmm. into, before we get into the meat and potatoes of this pod Let's talk about a modern-day legend of the game who played his last game for City in the Premier League, finished off with 309 Premier League appearances, 60 goals, 93 assists. Emily, here's question number one. To paraphrase Mrs. Merton in her most famous interview question, what first attracted you to the World Cup, double European Championship, quadruple Premier League, quintuple League Cup, and double FA Cup winner David Silva? Oh, I mean, it, it was just emo- so emotional watching his final game, wasn't it? It's just, he's so underrated. I think every City fan, obviously, were just crazily in love with him. But I don't think other fans appreciate him in any way because they're not blessed enough to get to watch him week in, week out like we've done. He has just been mesmerising, magical, mystifying. He's like a sorcerer of football and he's weaved his spell at City for 10 years and we've been so, so blessed to be able to watch that magic every single week. His vision, his instinct, there's just nobody quite like him. I know that De Bruyne with his assist and, and he's just bang on farm at the moment and he's just something else. But David Silver, the, the the trickery and it's just he he sees the game like no other footballer I've ever seen to get to watch that kind of a player on that kind of level for your football team it's been nothing short of tremendous and yeah I'm just so sad that we weren't all there in the, inside the stadium to give him the send-off that he deserved and to watch his final few games as well but yeah it's it's been really emotional hasn't it watching him it's been emotional. Um, let me turn now to Colin. Uh, Colin, do you remember when uh, David Silva first signed for City and what your first impressions were in, in those first uh, few months? Yeah, uh, my first impressions were, I don't, I don't think he had a great first season, but you could see the quality there. I seem to remember a number of people expressed a little bit dubious about him. And I said, you've just got to w- watch this guy. He's going to come good, and he did. And I think my only quibble with David Silva was, perhaps he wasn't arrogant enough, he didn't have enough of an ego. Because if he had, if he'd been perhaps a bit more selfish, I think people would be talking about him in the same way they talk about Lionel Messi. And that's no exaggeration, I'm not saying that, you know, just to for the sake of this part. But actually, did you know his first appearance at the Etihad was in 2007, 13 years ago? Because, of course, he played for Valencia in Thomas Cook Trophy, which was Sven Jorn Eriksson's first home game. Wow. Do not remember that at all. And he scored the, the only goal of the game. Oh, that is amazing. Let's let's go over to uh, Ray. Ray, tell me about your um, 
your first impressions of, of David Silva and, and also um, perhaps you could comment on uh, Roy Keane's um, comment. And he said about uh, David Silva, and I quote, he's a little genius. He's one I'm glad I was never around to play against because I know he would have twisted me inside out. That's coming from Roy Keane. <laughs> yeah. And, and it, it's probably right. It's probably right. I mean, David Silva, it's, it's a, I'm going to try and quote, think of a Star Trek analogy. And if you see in Star Trek, you see usually it's Spock and Kirk or whoever playing chess. And it's like in three dimensions. And David Silva, was, it was like he was playing football in the third dimension while most other players were playing in 2D. Uh, he was that good, you know, getting in between the lines. It was, it was incredible. And it, it's, it's funny to think back, back to those days when we got him. You know, people thought, yeah, he's a decent player. But when you heard people like, was it Harry Redknapp said, you know, we paid a bit too much money for him. And other people said, you know, he looks a bit, a bit skinny. And, you know, he's not, he's not going to be able to do it in the Premier League. And I think that first season, he did get knocked about a little bit because I, I just don't think players coming from abroad, especially in those days, realise how rough and tumble it would be and how people would tag you a little bit. And I just think once you got that side of the game sorted, and he, he was a bit of a terrier himself, putting the stick in the boots in when he needed to. And I think, uh, he, you know, he didn't, I think, I can't remember who wrote this, but he said he didn't adapt for the Premier League. He just did, you know, like Pep, did his own thing and just got better at doing his own thing. And the Premier League had to adapt to David Silva if they wanted to stop him. Um, and that, I think that's how good he was and still is. I mean, it's, it's crazy to think he's 33 years old and he still, since the um, restart, I think he was our best player until KDB in the last couple of games. It's just <laughs> showing everybody how wonderful he is. But I mean, David Silva has been ace since he's uh, since the restart. He's been fantastic, and you know, I, I believe there was up, up until the death, he's always been that twelve month contract extension on the table. And they said David could sign it anytime he wants. He's that good. He's still that good. I have no doubt he could play at the top level for another two, possibly three seasons. It, it, it's the way he reads the game. He is always five, ten seconds ahead of everybody else on the pitch. The, the passes and his vision, and he's he's just so instinctive. And he, yeah, there's, there's just nobody that's like him, is there? And I will really, really miss that. He this season we've really seen vintage David Silver as well. You know. We've really seen the best of him again. He's rolled back the years, and even after the, even more so after the restart, I, I think he's he's just been absolutely tremendous. And the goal he scored, the free kick, that was just marvelous. And yeah, yeah, he's just a little magician, isn't he? Just weaving his magic wand all over us. And I am quite sentimental talking about him because still a bit emotional after seeing him play his final game, and mm-hmm. I just hope that we get to give him the send-off he deserves because, you know, he, it's the very least he deserves. And, I mean, I'd like to see a statue for him at the Etihad. I know that there's been mosaics for plays of the past, but I do think he's very worthy, him and Sergio. But I, I was really emotional when company left last season, but David Silva, is, he's different gravy, isn't he? And people talk about Foden stepping up to the plate and taking his place in inverted marks but nobody will ever take David Silver's place he's been one of the best at City it's interesting Colin isn't it because he was never known for his pace I heard um, a couple of other people talking about David Silver on different pods and uh, they mentioned that that he didn't rely on his pace and uh, a couple of them also said that he didn't have a trick 
I don't exactly know what that means, but I've seen lots of tricks from David Silva, and they obviously haven't been watching him like we have been doing. But um, what, what do you think, Colin, would be a fitting tribute to David Silva? Oh, they're talking about naming a training pitch after him. I was just thinking the other day, you know, I started watching City in the 60s, and we had legends like Belly, some of them, Mike Bill, Glyn Pardo, Tony Bulk. You know, just every, almost every player turned out to be a legend. You know, Dave Watson and Dennis Chua, Tommy Booth. You know, you could just reel them off. How lucky we are to have seen this generation of players. You know, Vincent Company, Pablo Zabaleta, you know, David Silva, Sergio Aguero, you know, Fernandinho. You could go on and on and on and name them. Yaya Torre, Sunji High. You know, and, and I think um, we really do need a statue, but maybe one of, um, you know, Company Silva, Aguero together. I, I saw a great picture of them today holding a trophy. And for me, that would be the statue you'd want. Colin, did I hear you say Sanji Hyde in the, in the middle of that list of legends? Legend? How can you not <laughs> class Sanji <laughs> Boy as a legend? No, nothing against Sanji Hyde, but I've never heard it mentioned in that list of um, <laughs> that list of names before, Colin. But um, I'm, glad, I'm glad we have you on, Colin, because um, I think, uh, unlike the rest of us, you are in a position to compare David Silva with Colin Bell, who was previously regarded by everybody as our greatest ever player. So what do you say? Um, I, you know, you, you can't compare them. The two completely different players. The Colin Bell was a was an absolute engine of a player who would break up a move on the edge of his own penalty box and then be on the other end of the cross to head the ball home a few seconds later at the other end of the pitch. Uh, I mean, David Silva's not that type of player. You know, David Silva can do uh, you know the space he finds, the way he finds space, the passes he finds. Colin Bell, could, I don't think, could do that. But I don't think David Silva could do a lot of what Colin Bell did. So, you know, I, it's very tempting to try and compare them, but they're two completely different players. Uh, I, I'm just privileged to have seen them both. Ray, could I possibly press you for one or two of your favourite ever David Silva moments? Everyone's going to su- suggest that uh, sumptuous pass to uh, Edin Dzeko for the sixth goal. That that sticks in my mind. I liked was it his first goal against Blackpool. That sticks in my mind as well. He got past a couple of players and put it in the corner. But he's done other stuff, you know. He has scored goals from outside the box. There was a game years back where we'd had somebody sent off, and I think we were playing Hull, and he scored a, a screamer from about 25 yards. Uh, I think we won the game 2 0. You know, he's come up with the goods, uh, you know, um, on many occasions. Um, you know, just thinking of you know, some of the iconic shirts he's wore. I remember the black and red, um, and these pictures of him, you know, with his hair floating around it, you know just I've spent a bit of time looking at old pictures and videos and stuff and you know of, of what he looked like 10 years ago and, and you know just looking at his hairstyles you know I'm just jealous I ain't got any but um when he went a couple of years ago when he went and decided to go bald and then he's grown it back so many moments um of skill 10 minutes of uh, YouTube videos isn't enough to show you know just the amazing skill he's um, shown us at City and I've said many times he's my favourite player at City now. Emily, do you think that was the most successful hair transplant of all time? <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, I also want to mention as well what he went through with his son because I think he just showed immense professionalism and in, in conducting himself with such great dignity throughout what must have been the most horrendous time for him and the way the club were with him and I mean everything surrounding that and the way he came through that as well was just had nothing but the utmost respect for him because 
as a parent, that is just the absolute worst thing that you could ever, ever face. And, and he went, went through it and he was there with the club, for the club. And what, a, what an awful thing to have to experience. But yeah, he was so professional and, and he still, he still continued as and when was required of him. So, I mean, that just shows it's a testament to the mark of the man that he really is because he is really dignified, very humble, very honest, um, and not flashy in any way, shape, or form. He's, he's very, very quiet, and he's just been such a classy footballer to have around. You know, you get all the likes of Jesse Lingard now, and, you know, <laughs> walking around with all the blings. I, Mendy, I, I mean, you know, Mendy makes us all laugh, doesn't he, with his, his daft antics, but. David Silver is just the complete professional and I think it's a mark of the man that he really is. And it's just, yeah, the past, the, the Jekko, the past to Jekko is what stands out for me looking back. There's been so many moments that you could call upon, but that mm-hmm. was just absolutely dreamy and it just shows his skill to a T, doesn't it? He's just been a, a remarkable footballer. Well, thank you so much, Emily. You have introduced me to a genuinely new experience. I never thought I would ever hear someone talk about David Silva and Jesse Lingard. Get a, get a look ah! at them. <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> it's, it's quite funny, isn't it, really? Because if you read, if you were keeping up with the news, you'll know that there was one guy who had put a bet on that uh, Jesse Lingard wouldn't score or make an assist all, all year. And um, he was on for it until the 98th minute of the Manchester United match when Jesse Lingard actually scored and he lost a potential £600 uh, or something like that. <laughs> it's quite funny. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I love some of those uh, recollections. Raised right, of course, everyone will remember the pass to Jekyll for number six in the uh, demolition of uh, United at Old Trafford. I'm thinking also of, I think Ray mentioned this as well, that, that goal against Blackpool where he turned their defence inside out. Another one that sticks in my memory is a game against QPR and we were wearing the the stripes and uh, he scored and he did that, that his probably his most famous uh, photograph that you'll see the raised fist the jumping up in the raised fist uh, celebration in in that uh, uh, great kit uh, Colin is there apart from the, the ones that we've mentioned is there is there a particular memory that sticks in your your mind as we bring this little trip down memory lane to to a conclusion Fantastic game against, you know, I know it's hardly Real Madrid, but a game against Hull City. For a skill, you didn't often see him take games by the scruff of the neck, but that was his, almost his strength, wasn't it? He, he was just there, calm, collected, nothing flashy. You know, not a Jordan Henderson running around shaking his fist, but uh, I would now get, I think we went down to 10 men quite early on. Was Vincent Company sent off early on? Yeah. And he yep. did take that game by the scruff of the neck. And he scored an absolutely brilliant goal. And that, for me, was one of his finest individual games. Yeah, I think uh, we'll never see the like again. He was so classy. Just a wonderful, wonderful player. And uh, as Keane said, just a little genius. Well, guys, we could talk about uh, David Silva for a long time, but we have to uh, press on. And um, Ray, uh, this particular game, Manchester City 5, Norwich City 0. And of course... uh, before the game, people were looking back to that um, damaging loss against them. We lost 3-2 against them um, earlier in the season. Didn't seem to be much uh, danger of that uh, repeating itself. But I, I just want to maybe bring you to a quote, Ray, from um, Sam Lee, because it was another 5-0 win. And uh, there have been so many 5-0 wins and 4-0 wins. Um, 
And Sam Lee uh, from The Athletic made uh, this comment. He said City scored 55 of their league goals in just 11 games. So 54% of their goals in 29% of their games. And yet at the same time, they kept 16 clean sheets, but conceded 35 in the other 22 games. That's 1.6 per game. And he asks, is that interesting or relevant? Do you think it is, Ray? I'm just thinking about this. I mean, the, the game at Cowley Road was a five-goal thriller and another five-goal thriller uh, at City of Manchester. It is interesting when you when you put the stats like that. I mean, we, we've absolutely spanked teams this season. 11 times we've won 5-0, uh, I think, or more, or something r- ridiculous like that. Um, and 22 games to let in 35 goals, it's too, it's too many. <laughs> There's no question about that. It, it's too many. Um and, and, and I said, you've probably been bored by me saying this if you're watching my, my videos all through the season, especially the last uh, six months. Every time we've scored two goals, Manchester City should not be losing a game. We should not even be drawing a game. If we score two goals, that should be enough to win. And um, this season, you know, very early on, we had three draws where we scored two, two goals. I think it was Spurs. Crazy game where we drew two all. Uh, we drew two all with, uh, was it Palace and Newcastle, I think. And then we lost two games where we scored two, and that was Norwich uh, and Wolves. And I just said, it's all this but some maybes, but if we'd won those games, we'd have been much closer. We'd have put pressure on Liverpool, and Liverpool would have felt some of that pressure, like they did last season. And because they've had no pressure from very early on, they've just been able to you know, win the league at a canter. I think that's been my biggest um, worry for City, especially this season, is... The number of chances we're giving teams, it's going to sound crazy. You know, we were all, we massacred Norwich yesterday, but Norwich could have scored three goals. You know, no one would have begrudged them uh, if they scored three goals because, uh, you know, we were we were lucky. And, and I think that sums it up. Far too often this season, we have been lucky. You know, we, we, we no one is going to think too much about the, 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 the frailties at, in the midfield and at the back when you're winning 5-0. But there's been a few games where, you know, we, we've given chances away and then come uh, come back strongly and, and thumped a team. And everybody goes away thinking, How's it? you know, most people go away thinking, that was a good game. City won 4-0. Like the game against Liverpool, we beat them 4-0. But we gave them a couple of good, very good chances to start with. So there's been a few 4-0s and 5-0s. Um, but it is disappointing to be given that many goals away in, in that many games. And, you know, it's I think people get some... Uh, People on social media getting carried away that Liverpool let in, I think, was it two fewer goals than us or two or three? Um, wasn't much. And to say, look, we're not that far away uh, from Liverpool defensively. We are. And I think we're going to do something about that in the summer. Well, that's, it's interesting, Colin. I'm just going to bring you in on, on this point. Um, a couple of stats I'm going to throw in here. So City finished the uh, league season with 102 goals, and that is actually considerably higher than all of the best teams in the top five leagues in Europe. I think only one team has come close. I think they got 100. But when you consider the top five, that we have outscored everyone in the top five leagues in Europe. And not only that, I was surprised to see when I was looking, uh, looking over the league table at the conclusion of the games, that when you looked at the goals conceded column, Liverpool 33, Manchester City 35, there was only two in it at the end. I mean, it's just totally anomalous. What do you think? What, what, what? Uh, yeah, it is. I was looking at the stats myself. Uh, and it's absolutely crazy. And I think Ray was right. But where we lost, we, you know, there were quite a few games where we lost the game or didn't, didn't come away with three points and we scored two goals. Absolutely right. The team of our 
standing shouldn't be doing that. I think someone described it as a Jekyll and Hyde season. You do wonder, it's almost inconceivable, isn't it? How you could be, how many goals were we ahead of Liverpool? About 16 or 18 goals ahead of, we scored more than the team that won it. And we only conceded. Yeah, we only conceded two more than Liverpool, despite their, their famed rocks on the 18 points behind. Yeah. And it's just completely, as Ray said, you know, even Norwich, relegated Norwich, although, you know, relegated teams often give uh, other teams a bit of a, uh, a hard time, but uh, you always look at Bournemouth. But you know Norwich could have had two or three against us. But, but our, our game is not defensive. But we are better than people think we are defensively. When you look at the goal against Column, Liverpool thirty-three, us on thirty-five, United on thirty-six, and people say they weren't great defensively. It's not about. It's just not about general defensive slackness. It's about particular games where we've not. You know, we've just not done our job justice. And possibly a lot of that is down to um, Laporte only started 15 games, I think, this season, didn't he? You know, losing Vincent Company obviously didn't help. But we're not a defensive team, and we, we never will be. The only time I've seen us adopt a, what you regard as an ultra-defensive attitude is that no no Anfield a couple of seasons ago. The season before this last one. Possibly against Tottenham in the first half of the um, the first um, Premier League yeah. game against Tottenham. I'd send you a game. Wolves, when we were down to 10 men and winning 2-0 with uh, 40 minutes of the second half remaining, we went crazy defensive. We took off uh, Aguero and we basically left one man up and everybody else defended. And then we kept bringing more defensively minded players on and then we succumbed and lost 3-2. To touch on that point as well, that um, Ray and Colin have just been discussing about um, the goals and stats. It's just the nature of the football that we play under Pep. It's just so offensive that, you know, when you, you live by the high line and you die by the high line, it, it leaves us with little room forever. And no more has it ever been so frustrating where with, with the Arsenal game in the FA Cup, because I am still so disappointed with that. I know I need to get over it, <laughs> but it's just an example because it was me who used the term Jekyll and Hyde side because you can feel so confident after such a big win and go into the game. And when you look at the team sheet, full of expectation and confidence, only to be disappointed because then in that game, you know, we don't show desire or we just look out of sorts or, you know, little bits here and there are amiss. So it has been re a real Jekyll and Hyde season for me. And I just... I never really know what to expect when we're going into a game. I kind of like it in a way because, you know, expect the unexpected. But then again, it, it, I get confidence and then it doesn't really come through. So, yeah, it's been up and down really. But, yeah, it's the way we play the, the high-press football. It leaves no little to no room for error. So if there is an error, then we're, we're kind of left high and dry, especially with Laporte being out for the majority of the season. So... Yeah, I'm not justifying it in any way, but it doesn't really surprise me in, in, in that way because of the way we play football. But well, let's talk a little bit about this um, this game, Emily. Of course, it was uh, City 5, Norwich 0, and um, obviously um good start with um, goal number one, a give-and-go between Raheem and, and KDB. A bit of a goal-mouth tangle of legs, and uh, Gabby Jesus uh, sticks one in. What struck me mostly was uh, Pookie going straight through Straight through, one-on-one -on -one with Ederson. His um, golden gloves ambitions were seriously tested there. But I think that was that was not the only... There were two, at least two moments like that whenever he saved us. Ederson has just been an absolute superstar. Um, he could play as an outfield player, couldn't he? With some of his passing and his distribution is just... 
absolutely phenomenal. But yeah, he, he produced a couple of magnificent saves, and it could have they could have scored two or three goals. You know, let's not forget they did bag first, and then it was ruled off. But he is a very worthy winner for Golden Glove, without a shadow of a doubt. That's right. Ederson was uh, level uh, with uh, Nick Pope of Burnley uh, going into the game um, for the uh, highest number of um, clean sheets. And um, I was following you know, both games. They were all played you know, at the same time. And obviously, Burnley conceded. And uh, yeah, he was tested, but he kept them out. After that first goal, I'm going to wind up Ray here a little bit and let's see what happens. <laughs> let's see what happens. So, so after, after that first goal, um, then, of course... I think it was just uh, just after the 45, just before the, um, the the whistle was blown to end the uh, first half. I got some fancy footwork from uh, Kevin De Bruyne, an absolute rocket uh, there to make it uh, two 0 But but Ray, he's um, he's no Jordan Henderson, as Noel Gallagher said. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, that. Well, I did plenty of in- um, videos this week about about the football writers and and those guys. Um, they really do let their profession down. Sports writers. Uh, uh, and on Friday, Friday 9.30 in the morning, the Football Writers Association, they awarded the Footballer of the Year to Jordan Henderson, which didn't surprise us because we knew it was coming because the media for the last six months have been pushing the narrative that it's going to be Jordan Henderson. The journalists have been pushing that narrative. So when it comes out to doling out their own award, well, you know, they've been pushing their agenda. It's going to be Jordan Henderson. And the sad thing is, they've, I believe, they've fooled a lot of Liverpool fans, I mean, the Liverpool fans have got to go along with it. And a lot of other fans who don't watch that much football might watch uh, some highlights here and there, maybe read stuff in the newspapers and see stuff online. So it's very easy to fool them if 90% of the journalists are writing from the same, uh, you know, page, basically. And it just, it's just a copy and paste. And then when I, I questioned somebody else, uh, and, you know, they, were t- they said, oh, no, no, it's what they do off the pitch as well. It's as much as what they do off the pitch. As well, did you on the pitch? You know, Raheem Sterling got it last year, and I look back. Yeah, Raheem Sterling did get it, and it, I think he got it because he not only did he have a cracking season, and there's no denying that he called uh, a lot of them out for for being racists, and I think so he got it for both. And I said, hang on a minute. So Jordan Henderson, you're admitting wasn't the best player on the pitch. Uh, you know, even Liverpool fans I speak to, you know, he, he's struggling to get in their top three. Uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold with 13 assists, new Premier League record, I think. Well above him. Sadio Mane, I think, was a driving force to help Liverpool get that, that big lead early on in the season. Well ahead of him. You could have had Robertson, you could have had Salah, you know, Van Dijk. We're all above Henderson, in my my opinion. So what I question, uh, they're all pushing the narrative, but it's what he did off the pitch. You know, it's not just what you do on the pitch, it's what you do off the pitch. And he did so much for collecting money for the NHS with the you know, players, uh, well, I can't remember the, the, the I think you I think you characterised it as he had a whip round, Ray. Yeah, the whip, words. basically. But this is what, what, <laughs> it, what it was. You know, and, and I don't say he's not done a good thing, but it is, uh, you know, you make some phone calls to the other captains and say, look, we're having a whip round, can you chuck some money in? I think you probably put it slightly more eloquently than me. Let's have a whip round, lads. Uh, something like that. No, my, my poor Jordy accent uh, there. But he, and that's basically what it was. And I said, look, young Marcus Rashford, what he did in collecting, uh, you know, helping a charity to raise, I think it was £20 million to help feed kids, um, school kids. Um, and then what he did to, to help force the government to make a, a U-turn on the feeding of, you know, providing millions and millions of meals to school children over the summer holidays. I think that 
is is one of the biggest things off the pitch that any footballer has done that I, that I can instantly you know bring to my mind. And what he did, you know, he put what Jordan Henderson did off the pitch into the shade, you know. So the, the and whenever I put that argument to the journalists, who some of them had been quite chatty, given their reasons for for why Henderson had, had been awarded the prize and why they voted for him. They remain silent. Suddenly, they you know they, they must have had some other work to do because on Twitter, on that particular thread, on, on those threads, they became silent. So it is, it is, it is a joke. It is a joke. When so, I think people, what you're uh, saying, what you're saying, Ray, is that if it's a combination of a good performance on the pitch and a good, a great contribution off the pitch, then surely Rashford has had probably as as good or quite close well, to. The on on pitch performances to to Henderson, and he's done something much much well, much more significant off the pitch. Off the pitch, off the yeah. pitch he's clean. He's cleaned the floor with Henderson off the pitch. But I said, when a, when the journalists have to come out and justify their choices, you know something's up. You'd have to justify your choices if it's clear and obvious. I remember one one Liverpool fan said to me uh, because that, this is part of the narrative. You got some Liverpool fans have to now push that Jordan Henderson deserves it because of what he did on and off the pitch. And one guy said to me, he said, well, you know, Rashford didn't pull up any trees. Rashford scored 17 league goals this season and got seven or eight assists. And I said, that's not much uh, different to you know, the big two of Liverpool, Salah and Mane. So Rashford is up there, in, if you look just at simple stats, he's up there with, you know, most of the top scorers. I think top scorer was, was it 23, 24 goals this season. He's up there with a whole host of people and he's done something quite amazing off the pitch. And I think he, he, if you want to look at off the pitch, then I would give it Rashford. If you're looking purely on the pitch, well, KDB showed the, the football writers you know, where they need to stick their pencils in, in future, in, in the last game against Norwich with those two goals. And so, you know, I, I just think, and especially the last one, I think the last one when he scored that, he just turned around and he was just like, he had a little bit of disdain for those um, uh, football writers who had given the award to Henderson. He just... He struck a wonderful goal and then just turned around and said, hey, you know, this is normal. This let is let me just bring in um, Colin Savage here. Colin, um, th- these points were put to Stevie Nicol on ESPN FC, and of course it's, ne- it's never good asking him anything about Liverpool, but um, he went on a, a scathing rant about armchair supporters, and he says it's nothing to do with any of the- these things that we're talking about. It's actually about Henderson's leadership his leadership skills and his overall contribution to uh, Liverpool's uh, success. Does does that have any, any merit in, in choosing him over De Bruyne, in your opinion? Well, it depends what criteria you're using to select the award, isn't it? He seems to be very flexible. <laughs> uh, you know, if, if you want to give an award for leadership, fine, give him an award for leadership. The Football Writers Award seems to be have very wide criteria and, and, and they seem to decide the criteria depending on who they pick. Now, I, I don't think many of us have got any respect for the current crop of football writers. And you could see the campaign for Henderson building. I, you know, I, I swear it was a great campaign by the Liverpool media team to get him that award. Fair enough, you know, perhaps he has made the difference to Liverpool. He's not the most skillful player. Probably a typical English player, isn't he? Runs around a lot, you know, shouts a lot. Not to not to denigrate him at all, but the difference between him and a Kevin De Bruyne is massive. You know, if you're going to give an award for the player who's contributed most on the pitch, then Kevin De Bruyne probably wins it hands down. But 
tell us what the criteria are. But it seems to me that football writers they make it up. Tell us what criteria they've used after they've made the award. There was a lovely tweet out there by Simon Curtis, um, and he said it's only in England where someone that runs around and shouts a lot uh, gets the uh, award over someone like De Bruyne. Let me hit you with a few statistics here, guys. Um, the kind of statistics that uh, Stevie Nichol was saying just uh, do not count in this conversation. 33 goal contributions this season where Henderson has nine. De Bruyne is the first player ever to manage 20-plus assists in two of Europe's top five leagues. In the 5-0 win against Norwich that we're talking about, he made 10 key passes. That's a record in a Premier League match this season. He registered the 100th goal involvement of his Premier League career. He's got 35 goals, 65 assists. And in fact, after the game, when they were congratulating Kevin De Bruyne on the fact that he had um, equaled Thierry Henry's assist record, I quote from Kevin, he said, You took two away from me. In my eyes, I was already the leader, but I need my teammates for this. If they score, I get the assist. Now, Ray, what was he referring to when he talks about two assists that were chalked off? The chalks off against Arsenal where he put the uh, the cross in and so I think there might have been a very minor, uh, minuscule deflection. Uh, I think one I remember seeing that Raheem Sterling scored at the, uh, scored at the far post. And so, you know, the ball was, the, the, the deflection didn't really make that much difference. And it's a funny old thing. If Raheem selling a shot and it was on target and it hit somebody and gone in, even if it had sent the goalkeeper the wrong way, even if the goalkeeper just bent down to pick it up and someone had stuck a foot out and put it past his own keeper, that would have been a goal for Raheem Sterling. But KDB puts a cross in, gets a slight deflection, and Raza, who is in all shoots of space, scores the goal, he gets nothing for that. And, and I didn't hear the second point before, but you know maybe the, the City players have, have missed far too many goals uh, mm-hmm. this season with that. KDB has set up, and I've just got to say one thing. If you'd, if you'd mentioned the Stevie Nickel thing earlier to me, yes, I would have gone off on one properly, because <laughs> no, no, when I, when I saw him put that, um, a little uh, friend of mine put that up, that video, I, wa- I watched a little bit, I mean, it was about a 10 minute video or something, I had to get, have like six tweets, because I'd watch a little bit and I think, what a load of rubbish. I mean, when, when, when Stevie Nickel came out and said, criticised armchair fans, he said, basically, you know, we... we Basically, he said, "We don't. We have no right to talk about it because we, you know, we don't know the game." And actually, Stevie Nichol, the uh, Stevie Nichol was talking about the criteria for Henderson that actually didn't reflect the reasons for the award. You know, the reasons for the award for what he did off the pitch. So Stevie Nichols is having a pop at us armchair fans, and he's got the the the, the, the criteria behind the award all wrong. And s- same, Craig Burley came along, and they were very condescending. And basically telling us that we, um, uh, our opinions didn't matter because, you know, we were just armchair fans. They're the experts. Uh, they're, they're the has-beens. I do like those guys. I do like yeah. to watch a lot of ESPN, but, uh, you know, they're really slapping us armchair fans down. Yeah, there, there was a great report, I have to say, from the presenter, Dan Thomas, who... Um, who brought it up to Stevie Nichols' memory that he did, he actually, he himself, uh, Stevie Nichol, won the Football Writers Award back in the day. <laughs> and he just fired back at, him, back at him, what did you do off the pitch in the year that you won it? And he couldn't come up with much more than he organized the, the darts and the pub nights. <laughs> what infuriated me was Alan Shearer coming out and admitting that he thinks that Kevin De Bruyne is the best midfielder in the world. Uh, but he voted for Jordan Henderson. So that kind of tells you everything you need to know. If he's actually admitting that Kevin De Bruyne is the best midfielder in the world, but then 
saying that Eva would be Jordan Henderson. Where is the logic in any of that? There is no logic. What is driving him to vote for Henderson? It just doesn't make, none of, none of it makes any sense to me whatsoever because like Ray, I was not surprised whatsoever that he won that award. You know, it was kind of an eye roll moment and oh, yeah, knew it was coming. And it's just really frustrating when players don't get the recognition that they so rightly deserve. And I'm not one to get hung up on awards like that in any way, but it would be nice, wouldn't it, for the player when when they deserve it so richly and everybody else can seem to see that they deserve it, apart from this little clientele that do the voting, then it really does get my goal. Um, so that was something that really kind of infuriated me. So, yeah, it, it was quite funny. Emily, going into the second half, 2-0 up, obviously, and I really thought that uh, David Silva had got the goal. It was in the 53rd minute. Uh, I wonder if you remember this. A, a wonderful save from Tim Crew. It was he- I, heading straight into the bottom corner. I wonder if you thought, like I did, oh my gosh, this is going to be... He's, go- he's going to score in his last game. Yeah, he should have had the goal, shouldn't he? There was a couple of chances. I mean, you could just see his positioning as well in the box. He was so desperate to score, wasn't he? He was just so desperate, and we all wanted it to happen. I think the dream would have been the De Bruyne assist for the silver goal. That would have been amazing. And he did come so close a couple of times. He had the chances, and we were just all willing him on. But I kept watching his positioning throughout, and he was just getting in the right places, and it just didn't quite fall to him. So it was sad that he just didn't get the cherry on his cake. But, yeah, it wasn't for want of trying, was it? I have my own little theory, just uh, just going back a little bit to what we were talking about earlier. Um uh, there, it just seems in the media everyone wants to be so right on at the moment. They want to please people. They want to please what um, yeah. they, they, they think the dominant sort of uh, mood is in, in the country. And uh, it, it's only sentimentality, really, political correctness maybe, that would have you voting for Jordan Henderson yeah. over, over KDB. That's my little pet theory. But uh, as we say, back to the game, um, there were a couple of moments in the game when you had this particular player in a blue shirt flying in from the right, delivering sweet crosses right across the face of goal. I thought it was KDB, only to be corrected by the commentator that it was Kyle Walker, actually. What did you think of his performance in this game? Norwich had that initial flurry, didn't they? But from then on, it was a bit of a training exercise. We don't see Kyle Walker do this enough, do we, really? Because he tends to be the fullback who is perhaps more defensive and it's actually relatively rare we, we see him rampage forward like that and put in a great cross. But we know he can do it. You know, I'd like to see him do it some more because it gives us uh, another option, doesn't it, to break down a packed defence. Not that Norwich ever play a, a packed defence, even when we watched Norwich in the 60s and 70s. You know, they were always good for a few goals against. But yeah, I mean, Carl Walker, in the latter part of the season, he's looked like a, a man reborn, hasn't he? He's really put his heart and soul into it. And... Um, uh, yeah, it, it was nice to see him do that, because I don't think we see it, see it enough, really. Thoughts about uh, Kyle Walker there, uh, Ray? Does that give you hope for, for next season? Um, we've been talking about all of the positions that City might need to strengthen in, but um, maybe right back isn't one of them. I don't think so. I think he just needs to be consistent, uh, just Kyle Walker. You know, when you see performances like that, okay, it's against Norwich and all that, but you know, it just shows you what he can do. He just needs to, sadly, concentrate a little bit more uh, when the ball's going the other way uh, at times 
Um, you know, I think that's where we've struggled a little bit this season. I'm positive for that right back slot because I saw what was going on at left back. Saw so Joao Cancelo, and you know, Pep uh, has talked about him and said, you know, he. I think his attitude's changed. He's not got this sad face. You know, Pep. You know, that seems to be as much as how well you train. It's what your face looks like. You know, have you got a smile on your face? Are you are you miserable or are you happy? And he, I think he's been very positive about uh, Joao Cancelo. And he had a pretty decent game, uh, apart from two uh, wayward shots. But he was, the, it's the way he mounted, the way he dribbled, the way he got past people quite easily, the way he could, you know, rather than just put the, the crossing on his left foot uh, from uh, from the uh, um, you know left corner, when a player's coming in to block it, he would just drag it back, let the player go sliding off the pitch, and then pass it with his right foot. Yes, he's right-footed, he wants to use that more often. So that gives me confidence that if we have a problem at right back, then Joao Cancelo steps in. And I think with confidence, with a bit more games under his belt, he'll get more confident. He'll get his form. And we've now actually seen the exciting talent that we thought we were getting, um, albeit against Watford and uh, Norwich at the end of the season. But I think he'll get the start against Real Madrid. So you know, it's going to be a very interesting uh, last few games for Joao Cancelo. And uh, so I'm not worried about right back for next season now. So what do you think, Emily? Do you think that um, the last couple of performances by uh, Cancelo have made you less worried about the left-back position? Yes and no, because, I mean, I still need to see a bit more of him to be thoroughly convinced. But um, I, I still feel a bit like that about Mendy, and, and he's been around now, you know. I just, I think Zinchenko, I, I wouldn't hang my hat on him whatsoever from what I've seen. He's not a left-back anyway, we all know that. Um, it, it does still concern me and Garcia as well I've been a really big fan of Garcia and I know that he's really young and it'll come probably come with experience and more game time and you know just seeing little things where I'm not overly 100% convinced and I do still want Koudibaly to come in you know I think he'd be great signing for us just the price needs to be right and City with transfers we never get um, taken for a ride we don't stand for anything like that we wouldn't pay £80 million for Harry Maguire <laughs> mm-hmm. so that if the price is right then you know then we'll do the business but yeah um, I don't really I need to see a little bit more of him before I am fully convinced mm-hmm. if I'm being honest well let's just uh, go over to Colin Savage Colin 78th minute it was 3-0 pre-assist from David Silva KDB equals the record with 20 assists by putting through uh, Raheem Sterling. Let's talk about Sterling just for a second. I'll hit you with some stats now. This is quite interesting. So he has hit 20 goals for the season. He's outscored uh, Salah and Mane in the list of top goal scorers. He's got 30 in all competitions. He now sits on 99 goals for City in, in all competitions. And in fact, when he scored his 20th goal... That was the first time an English player for Manchester City had had hit twenty in a in a league season. Do you know who was the last to do it? I would guess last to do it. Dennis Stewart. No, he did do it. I kid you not. He did. Dennis Stewart did do it, but there was someone after him. He currently works for us too. I kid you not. Ray's hinting. Oh, Brian Kidd. It was. That's right. <laughs> he was the last English player. In, that, this was in the mid-1970s, actually. I haven't actually got the precise season. But he was the last English player for Man City to hit 20 in a season. Fascinating. It's interesting um, that he is the first Premier League player 
to score 30 plus goals in all competitions this season, of all of them. And obviously it's the first time that um, he's reached the, the 30 goal mark in his career. Where do you stand on on Sterling, uh, Colin? I mean, are you just amazed at the way that he, he's been transformed by Pep from this slight, yeah. slight little winger that we signed to Liverpool into a guy who's breaking goal-scoring records? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, you can't be anything other than amazed, the transformation in him. And I still think there's more to come. Because I still think possibly his touch could get better. He's just incredible, isn't he? I mean, he can he can have a what you think is a bad game and still court, score two goals. I know he's very frustrating. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, I know. It kind of is, isn't it? Because it can be a bit variable. That that goal he scored yesterday. I mean, bang! It was a very incisive finish, wasn't it? Very clever finish. Beat beat Tim Crawley. We had a great game. I mean, you have know, thirty goals. I, I don't know what he got for Liverpool, but I mean that is incredible, isn't it? And um, he works so hard as well. I mean, he, he works hard during a game. When earlier this season he had a really bad spell, but he never hit, did he? Uh, Leroy Sane, if he wasn't having a great game, would hide a little bit, wouldn't he? Uh, but, but but Sterling, no matter how awful a game he was having, would never hide. A lot of people have said. And a lot of people still do say that when he has time to think, he screws it up. When he doesn't have time to think, it goes straight in the back of the net. Is that something that can be corrected? Well, you have to you know, give him a partial lobotomy or something, take some of his brain out so he can't think as much. I don't know. And, you know, let him rely on his muscle memory. But the thing is, I mean, I think a lot of us criticised him for, for, for that very uh, problem. You know, he missed far too many chances. And now he's he's generally a lot more clinical. He still misses chances, don't get me wrong, you know. And as Colin said, there's more to come. He's 25 years old. There's plenty more to come from Raheem Sterling. I want him to do a bit better in the terms of assists. This is where I think this season he fell down. Uh, I think he's had, was it, four league assists and three of them have come after the restart. So up to, you know, we played 28 league games. He contributed one assist. Got a bundle load of goals, you know, especially early on because some good ones and a lot of tappings because he's arriving at the far post. But hey, you know that's where you need to be, and um, and he's done that. But he didn't get; he hasn't got a lot of assists. And some of that you can see why on uh, against Norwich, where he put two beautiful balls, um, you know, on a plate for a striker uh, who was sniffing around the six-yard box to score, and we had nobody there. Um, but his he, his goal scoring has definitely improved. There's mo- there's still more to come, and and dare I say, I honestly believe. In this city side, Raheem Sterling could score 30 league goals in the season if he played the full 38. I honestly believe that because the, the talent's there, the opportunity's there as well. And, you know, he just needs to be a, a little bit more clinical. And, and I, I honestly, in, in a couple of years' time, if most of you know, the best players stay together and we get a, a few more, why can't Raheem Sterling aim for 30 league goals in the season? And, and you know, I, I said this in one of my, 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 my videos recently. No matter how many records City have broken and how well we've done, I still want more. I still see areas where we can improve. And you've got to keep pushing yourself to improve. So, yes, we scored 102 goals. Well, why can't we score 115 next season or something? Why can't we cut down on, instead of letting 35 goals, get in, in, back into the mid-20s? And in all these different areas we can improve. KDB got 20 assists. Fantastic. Why can't he get 25? And probably, like we said earlier, he was hinting at it. So I just want us to keep on improving. And as I said, I'll repeat again, Raheem Sterling, you can quote me on this in two or three years' time when he does it. He can score 30 goals in a season. 
I think the remarkable thing about Sterling as well this season is that by his standards, he actually did have quite a dip in form just before the lockdown shut oh, down. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, there, there was a real period where he was really struggling for form and, and fans were really getting on his back. But he came back with a bang. And for me, one of the, the most pivotal moments was when he scored against Liverpool because that had been something that had been on him for so long. And just getting that goal against Liverpool would have just given him so much more confidence as well. And he's just come back since post-lockdown and absolutely thrived. He's just been having the time of his life. And I love watching him when he's like that. I, I absolutely love it because he's just a joy. He's, he's, he's an exciting player. He's so, so vivacious and so full of vigour, and he's just, he is really intelligent as well. Do you think that he'll be able to do it with 60,000 baying scousers in the stadium? Well, that's the difference, and that's what I said, and then Ray said, remember last time, Ray was like, oh, well, we'll just make sure that we don't have the crowd there next time, you know, so <laughs> <laughs> I'm in a joke, but that's wow. that's the difference. It's always been psychological, and it's always been a battle for him against the crowd, and he proved it with the crowd not there. He played out of his skin and he scored a goal so I mean he's got to do it where it matters with the crowd there as well obviously but it really helped him and I think it was it was important for him as well yeah so Raheem if you're listening to this pod we want more we want more more Ray, Ray going. wants more actually when Ray was talking there it just um, it cast my mind back to this particular um, we mentioned Noel Gallagher earlier on and uh, there's this um, YouTube clip where he's been given an award and he's been reminded of the fact that he's just signed this multi-million dollar record contract and they're asking him about um, what the future holds from him. He just, this is before he got his eyebrows done, you know, back in the day whenever he was um, following Man City around, he just growled into the camera I want more, I want more Mm. So yeah, that that sounds pretty much like uh, the the way Ray was. Well, let's go back to Ray uh, here as we're um, finishing up this uh, little match summary. Um, Ray, on the eighty-second minute, when Maris scored the fourth, you that thought that, that that was a that was another KDB assist, didn't you? I did. I did think it was another KDB assist, and it's one of those things. Look, he yes, he didn't get the final touch. It was a, d- a defender, but it was KDB. It, look, KDB, he is so good. He doesn't even have to touch the ball, and the defender assists. Uh, you know, under pressure, assisted for Maris. It was I, I, at the time I thought he, he, he you know. He'd got that little touch, uh, but it's a shame because, uh, you know, it's, it's, I had mixed emotions because I want KDB to get the record. I wanted him to get the record. I wanted him to actually get 22 or 23 and be well clear. But on the other hand, Thierry Henry was such a special player. He so, was such a special player. And, and for KDB to uh, to match him, you know, I think two of the, probably if you're looking at the top three foreign uh, players, well, let's say the top five, because I want to include David Silva. KDB is going to be up there in the top five, you know, and he's inching closer to getting, you know, higher up that list. Uh, and I think he'll do it. I think he'll 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 break that twenty. I think he'll break that twenty. Um, I hope next season. But yeah, it, it was just you know just a shame that he didn't he didn't get the two assists yesterday. I had some a competition going, and I said if he I can't remember what the prize was now. I, I, I actually do remember what it was. It was a I've got this little baby kit, uh, Man City third. Team baby kit. I said, if KDB breaks the record, I'll give that away on, on my uh, on my channel. And uh, I was, I, I want to get, I want to get rid of it. I've got, I've got all this stuff from this season, and the season's nearly over. I just wanted, to, I want people to win them. So it was a shame he didn't get that second assist. 
Well, Savage, um, it seemed a bit like um, Kevin De Bruyne was uh, sending out a message to the football writers because seven minutes later, 89th minute, a bit of Mares trickery and he takes a shot and it uh, comes back off a defender and breaks to Kevin De Bruyne. What happened next? I mean, it was just Kevin De Bruyne. He, took, he, he seems to take no back lift uh, and just um, bend it, bend, bent the ball around Tim Krull, didn't he? I think went, went in off the post. Another 5-0 bashing um, and a bit of revenge against uh, Norwich. And it, it's incredible, guys, isn't it? Because we've been talking all season about how wasteful City have been, how profligate <laughs> they've, they've been. Finished up with 102 goals and the highest total in Europe's top five leagues. That's no joke, guys. You go on to the BBC, look at the league tables around. We've scored more goals than any other team, even Bayern Munich, who I think are the, the, the team in, in, in the second uh, position. And uh, ended up with the most clean sheets as well. It's absolutely incredible. And, of course, Ederson now gets the golden gloves. And, of course, we've got a bit of form for that because we are now actually the leading team in Premier League uh, history for these uh, golden gloves. We've got five now. And uh, what is even more interesting, I thought, was the fact that Liverpool were talking about all these records that they were going to break. But um, let's have a look at how many records that Man City still hold. Most points... Biggest points gap to second, longest win streak, most goals, most away points, most away wins, biggest goal difference, and quickest team to 100 goals scored. <laughs> Not too shabby, isn't it? And actually, I'm going to test um, test you guys, uh, your memory a little bit, or your knowledge a little bit. Manchester City have scored 100-plus league goals in a top-flight season for the fifth time. That's the most in English football history. <sighs> now, which were the other seasons in which that feat of 100 goals occurred. So we've got one, and that's this season. Can I, can I give you one? Okay. 1937. That's it. That's one. So we've got two. We've got three more to go. 1958. Say, sorry, Emily, I think you were first. What was your guess? Got to be Kevin Keegan's season, surely. I, don't, I, can't, I can't give a date because I'm not tired, but... Surely Keegan's season would be up there for goal scored. So you'd be talking around 2000, Mark, I think. Yeah. Um, actually, that's not one of them. No. Um, because we're talking that's about the surprises, top flight. Yeah, we're talking about the top flight rather than oh, sorry. championship. Colin Savage? 57 uh, 58. Yep, that's uh, number two. Scored, scored 106, conceded 100. Yes, and we've got uh, two more to go, um, both in, in this particular Centurion um, season. Two seasons ago, we scored 106. That's right, 217, 2018. In the Centurion season. And uh, 2014 in the Pellegrini. That's it. You've got them. Fantastic. That was, uh, a, uh, was it 163 goals that season or something? Uh huh. Mm -hmm. oh, I well, think that's uh, 156. That was it. 156. That's the most anybody scored in, um, in a season. Yeah, that's right. But it's been an interesting July, guys, as it draws to an end. Uh, in this uh, month, we've scored uh, 25 goals and conceded four. It gives us a bit of hope against uh, Real Madrid. But, um, Ray, I, I don't know if we're going to beat them. <laughs> what do you think? I don't know either. You know, it's just it's one of those things. Uh, look, it's fantastic that we, we're going to go into the game with a 2-1 win. I just hope that we that Pep doesn't suddenly decide to do his uh, Champions League thing and, and uh, overthink it uh, and maybe go too defensive. Uh, Real Madrid need to score two goals. I, th I, I think we should just play a normal game. Uh, Mike, you know, I, I always like Pep now. Uh, I always just think, well, why is Pep throwing that curveball? But now I think, uh, yeah, every game I want Pep to throw a curveball. You know, a lot of people would have thought Maras would have started, but he's picked Foden for the, for, uh, for the Norwich game. So do something slightly different. 
Uh, I'm quite okay with that now. But I don't want us to be defensive. I, I just think, look, Real Madrid have got to score two goals. Whatever happens, they've got to score two goals. We have got to be ready to capitalise on the chances that they're going to give us. Hopefully, you know, they're going to give us some chances. We've got to stick it away. And if we can, if we can score two goals ourselves, they need four. If we lose, um, if, if they do score four against us, then you know we, des- we deserve a kick in. So you know, I, I just don't want us to be defensive. There's not many games that we haven't scored goals in. We've just got to play our normal game, try and get a goal or two, and that'll get us through. Thank you so much, guys. We've got just two uh, items to go, and then you can all go to bed. I realise it's very late there where you are. It's at 7.26am here in Seoul, South Korea. Here's the first item of these two items, and then we'll be done. Colin Savage, what on earth is holding up the CAS report? I have no idea. I wish I could tell you. Any but, guesses? Um, you know, I, I can only assume that City seemed happy for it to be released. They publicly said they're happy for it to be released. They have no uh, issues with it. And while Barada told us at City Matters meeting just a week ago tonight, they expected the uh, release in a few days. So that didn't suggest City had any issues with it. So the only thing I can suggest is either UEFA have some issues with it or someone else named in it is uh, holding things up and trying to get something redacted. But I don't know. don't know. It's, it's interesting, Ray, isn't it? Because the journalists have been baying for this. They, they, they think that this, yeah. is gonna, this is going to provide bullets for their dirty little guns and they're going to be able to, to so, make a narrative here. The longer it goes on, if, it, or if everything comes out in Sissy's favour, then they'll just slink away and not say anything. The longer this goes on, it's a, it's a funny well thing. I mean, I've written to Cass twice now uh, in, in my guise as a journalist, a fully paid up member of the NUJ. But I've written to them twice and asking them to, just to tell me when it's going to come out. Have they got any idea? I've, I've not received any response uh, whatsoever. So I think everybody's just in the dark over this. I thought originally when we were, we were expecting it to be three or four weeks after the award, you know, after the, the that sort of thing come out on the, the 13th of, or 14th of uh, July. And then they said it'll be in the next few days. So we thought, all right, I, I was surprised by that. I thought, okay, we'll wait for that. And we're just waiting and waiting and waiting. So it, it is frustrating because it's, it's, it's a saga that I, I'd like to be put to bed. I'd like it to be put to bed long before we get into the Champions League. So there's nothing distracting us whatsoever. Nothing whatsoever distracting us. We focus on that Champions League. I don't want Pep to, or anybody to have to come out and, and, and talk about these uh, issues if they, you know, a press conference two days before the Real Madrid game. I don't want it at all. I want it to be put to bed well in advance of that and we can just move on. Emily, will you be um, anticipating the publication of the CAS report with the same sort of anticipation that you were with the original judgment? I am very intrigued to see what the detail involved in it is, without a doubt, but not as um, waiting with bated breath like you mentioned the journalists are, because everybody is uh, in that spectrum is rubbing their hands together and, and they'll be uh, scaling over it with a fine tooth comb to find any angle that they can um, really go in hard on, on us with. So, I mean, from that perspective, no, I, it, that morning I was so nervous waiting for that verdict. And I felt, with, with about a couple of minutes ago, I felt physically sick and I was shaking. <laughs> I don't know if that's right or not, but I really did. Um, and, I mean, the, the most important thing is is we've got the verdict. Um, and then the fine print can come later for me. But for the people who don't like the verdict, 
Oh, they they want the detail so they can dissect it. They'll find something and go through it and and find the the teeny tiniest little flaw in it and and try and pick, unpick it all. So let them wait. Um, I agree with Ray. Don't drop it in if it's gonna stir any everything up before the Champions League game because we don't want the distraction. The Champions League game is so so important and. To be going over it all again right before that game would just, you know, it's just an unwelcome distraction. It's going to come out before that game, though. <laughs> I'm pretty sure about that. Um, now, listen, before um, Ray sees us out to to talk about um, transfers, I'm just going to sort of preface that by um, by just asking a couple of questions to Colin Savage. First of all, Colin Savage, when's your birthday? Don't give me the year. Why? Uh, because I don't think that people need to know um, exactly, but um, how about month and day? It, well, it was early last month, let's say let's okay. say that. So, okay, the reason I asked you it is because I'm just going to strike up a hypothetical situation. We're going to give you a belated uh, birthday present, uh, Colin, and a happy birthday, of course, for, for, for that birthday. But um, imagine this, you've got um, five signings that you can make for Manchester City within reason. So don't include Messi or Ronaldo or anybody like this. But you've got five and it's all hanging on you. Give me the give me five names, Colin. Five signings. Uh, well I mean Coolibarley would be one of them. I think we need that experience at the back. Okay. To replace company. You know what? I um Norwich have gone down. I like the uh, the lad at left back there, Jamal Lewis. Interesting. Um I, I think he's an interesting player. Pep could make something of him. I've always been a bit of a fan of Harry Kane. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with the provider that he's not the most mobile striker, but then Sergio isn't either, is he? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I like Harry Kane because I think he actually played a bit of football, so he's quite good with the ball at his feet, as well as a, a good goal scorer. But obviously, that's um, you know w- we need uh, reinforcements up front. I think I, I like Ryan Fraser at Bournemouth, another team that's gone down. Okay, so, you know, <laughs> interesting. To be picked off. Uh, okay, good player. Okay, and um, last one. Where, where are we going to do it? I don't know. I would guess it would be another defender, wouldn't it? But Nathan Ake? He's always looked okay to me, but I can't say I'd be thrilled about that. But okay, all right. Yeah, Alaba, I guess, is the obvious one, isn't it? Okay, and I'm going to ask the same question to um, Emily. Emily, when's your birthday? The 16th of April. Okay, we've missed that one too. But the same belated gift goes out to you, Emily. Five names. Give me five names. Oh, I can't. I can't. I too, can't too, give you five too, too tired? I, I'll give you two. Yeah, I, I need my bed. It's, it, I'm really... I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I, I definitely want Cooley Barley, and I would love Harland up front for us. Oh, Absolutely yes. love Harland. Okay. Well, I'll give I'll give my five, five names, and then we'll just uh, go over to Ray for um, kind of an update on the situation. I would go for Cooley Barley. The second defender, Upa Meccano, a midfielder in Benasser, who Ray will probably tell us something about because this guy is absolutely dynamite. Ferran Torres, who we're heavily linked with, and I would, um, I, I would agree with Emily. I, if I could get uh, Haaland, I, I would snap anyone's hand off for that. So those would be my five. Quite a big divergence of opinion between uh, my choices, Emily's choices, and uh, Colin Savage's uh, choices, Ray. Tell us what your five choices would be, and perhaps you could give us um, a few updates on what you um, see as the latest situation. I, I would just say, Mike, you're, you're, you're talking about spending about 275 to 300 million pounds yep. with your picks. I, I, I don't see us doing that. I mean, you're actually getting you're getting my, my video that's coming out tomorrow about the, the players um, that I think we might be getting, or we have a, a, I would like. So it's a mixture of who I think we might be getting and one or two that I would like. Okay. Um, 
so I've gone for obviously we're getting Zach Stefan coming back uh, as goalkeeper as defenders uh, Koulibaly that's uh, name on everybody's lips I'm going for Nathan Aki because he's homegrown the way you want to do it you can't get I'll tell you for free you can't get the five names you've mentioned quite so easily uh, because we haven't got the non-homegrown spots five we've got, we got them for four if we're losing Otamendi Bravo Sane and Silva uh, so we've only got four spots so you can't have your five I'm sorry mate so I, I say Nathan Aki because he's homegrown and he's people keep telling me he's versatile because he can play left back which yes he played left back one season on loan at Watford five years ago I think they were in the championship then so I'm not sure, sure how much of a left back but he can play left back and a bit of DM uh, so he's one for me Ferran Torres, I think that's going to happen at about 35 million quid, 40 million euros, that sort of level. Um, he'll play, I think Pep will just show, show us that he can play on either wing. Haaland, I don't think we'll get because of who his agent is, Mina Riola. Um, so that's not going to happen. Upe Meccano, I don't think we'll get him and Koulibaly. I'm going for, who else have I gone for? Um, so I've given you two, three. Uh, Ismail Banasa. I yeah. really like Ismail oh, Banasa at the exciting. moment. Uh, very exciting. Um, you know, uh, my uh, I've got a few friends from Algeria. Got one journalist who keeps on putting stuff about Benassa. And you're looking at his his you know what he's done. He's got a meteoric rise. I mean, it's crazy to think four or five years ago he was at Arsenal. Um, and uh, yeah, Pep's been on the phone to him as well. Yeah, yeah. He might have had a couple of uh, cup games. Then he went on to uh, on to uh, on loan at Troy, I think, for a season. And then he was flogged off to Empoli in Italy uh, for a few million quid. Uh, Empoli had two seasons in this Serie A. They got relegated. He had a very good season. He moved off to AC Milan for about 16 or 18 million quid, I think. And now we're looking at about 50 million quid. He's had a cracking season. AC Milan's sporting director or, or owner or somebody has been saying, um, you know, they want to keep their team together, but they've not got Champions League. Uh, that could affect them. And yeah, if he's available at 50 million quid, he's a, for me, he's a box to box midfielder. So much um, energy and dynamism. Oh, he? yeah, yeah. What he do, the only thing for me, he reminds me a lot of David Silver, the way he twists, the way he turns, the way he starts to go one way and lets the defender go and then just twists back the other way, uh, or the midfielder. He, you know, he, he's, he's a very, very good dribbler as well, from what I've seen. The one thing he doesn't do, he doesn't score a lot of goals and he doesn't create, he doesn't have many assists. But I think in this city side, that'll come. But he is, he is a box-to-box midfielder. And it just reminds me of David Silva, but with a bit more extra bite. Um, so that's for Kulid Bali and Ake and Ferran Torres and Benassa. Yeah. Do you think it might just stop there at four? No, 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 I haven't finished yet, Mike. Lautaro, okay. Ma- Lautaro Martinez. He's okay. uh, 22 years old. The guy um, who's going to Barcelona. Barcelona, look, Mike, Barcelona strapped for cash. You know, Barcelona are throwing names out left, right, and centre at the moment. They've thrown out Eric Garcia, and then they said we we want him, but City can ask for too much money. So that's what Barcelona Barcelona doing in Arsenal, aren't they? You know, throwing out names, say we're going after this guy when they've no intention, and they want their fans to think that they're actually uh, doing something. They're actually serious. There was a Brazilian journalist, I think his name is Rafael Hernandez. Said Barcelona taking an eight hundred million euro loan out. Yeah, from Goldman um, Sachs. Yep. You know, uh, and uh, I don't know if they're just consolidating all their other debts into one simple monthly payment uh, by, by doing this. Um, but they, they, you know, is it all for transfers? I don't know. I mean, it it just smells a bit funny at, at Barcelona. They're struggling. They've got to buy, get you know 
he finished in second in the Spanish league. He's struggling, but they've got to go out and get some players. Um, yes, they, they might go for Lautaro Martinez. They probably want him, but I think if they if they have problems financially, then City can step in. And if there's nowhere else for him to go, then you know uh, why, why not? Why can't he come to City? Um, so there are my five, and they will um, make a big difference. Well, I think we need to draw it uh, to an end. Uh, of course, just before I do this, I, I just want to give an opportunity for anyone to throw any other um, remarks that they might have in. Does anyone have any other points that they'd like to make at this point in the season? I time. Okay, heads down. <laughs> no one's putting their hands up. Okay, well, we've got uh, three very tired podsters, guys. We hope you've enjoyed it, um, and uh, we'll be back with you um, very shortly. And so let's just uh, bid them good night before we bring this pod to an end. And Thank them for coming on. So first of all, Colin Savage, uh, thank you so much for coming on. It's a pleasure. And the same to you, Ray. Uh, uh, likewise, it's a pleasure. And Emily, if you still have your eyes open after a lot travelling, thank <laughs> you so much for coming on. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Thank you very much. <laughs> guys, you can tell that they're so glad for this to be over. Okay, guys. Well, we'll just finish it here. And as I said, we'll be back with you very shortly. So until then, we'll finish off with what we always say. Have one on us and up those blues. <laughs> It's about time that your mind took a holiday